So I'm going to start this morning's sermon by giving you a quick quiz, a little pop quiz here. What is God's most frequent command in all of Scripture? Does anybody know? Yeah, I know. This is kind of a giveaway because it's supposed to say, well, I guess it didn't say down there. It says, do not be afraid. There we go. So that is the answer. You know, it's, it's a little, little bit nail on the head there. But it's, it's not some of the other ones we might think of at first glance uh, or guess, like do not commit adultery, have no other gods before me, or even love one another. By far and away, 300 instances, there is a version of do not be afraid or fear not. It is the most often cited commandment in Scripture. Anything that is mentioned that many times must be important, and it must grab our attention as we come as readers of the Word. Now, as we continue to focus on fear, I think we should realize that if someone is fearful or in the grip of anxiety, one of the very least helpful things you could ever tell them, do not be afraid. <laughs> just, just stop it. Just quit. Just, it's easy. You're afraid? Just don't be afraid. Choose not to be. Just choose not to be anxious. Get over it. Move on. And I think as, as a church and as, as, a, as a culture, we are becoming more and more aware, not just of the unhelpfulness, but even the potential harm that can be done by some of that very surface-level advice. And why is it harmful? Because you can tell someone to not be afraid, but you yourself can do absolutely nothing to help see that piece of advice through. You have no ability to do anything for them. You're just telling them to pull up their bootstraps, to get over it, and to get on with life. And that can actually make things worse. But when God tells us through his word, through the messages that he gives us today when he says to us, do not be afraid. Now, that is something altogether different. It is no longer surface-level advice. It's no longer harmful. It's helpful in the extreme. Because when God commands it, when he tells it to us, he can actually do something about it. He can put some weight behind it, some divine strength kind of weight. So this is not empty advice or even a casual reminder. It is a command of Scripture to not be afraid given by a God who has the power to help see it through. So that is something we need to keep in mind as we talk about this. I am not going to give you a self-help talk and say, hey, just get over it, don't be afraid, now go home, and now we're done. I want to point us to the truth of Scripture and to the God who can actually help. Now, there are two distinct ways or tones in which somebody could say, do not be afraid. The first is that of a command or a warning where someone says, don't, do not be afraid. Don't you dare. Don't even think about it. Don't try. You should not. Thou shalt not be afraid. However you want to coach it, that is one tone of language that we see. And we do see the command language in this instance in Scripture. It is issued from God our King. He says, do not, do not be afraid. Now, we're not always familiar with kings, but kings, when they give a command, they expect obedience. And it is that level of weight that God puts on this command. Do not be afraid. It's a command from our king. Though, of course, as much as he expects obedience, he also gives this command for our own benefit. And, and, and those of you who have had a chance to be a parent and still are, or maybe a grandparent with little kids, and all of a sudden, you know, little Jimmy picks up a staple and goes playing next to a, a wall socket. <laughs> what are you going to say? Are you going to be like, please don't do that, Jimmy? You're going to be like, don't. Don't do that. You're going to be firm. 
You're going to be loud. You're going to be direct. You're going to be immediate because you know that if something goes wrong, it can really be harmful for little Jimmy. So by the way, I mean, you shouldn't leave staples or, you know, paper clips or anything lying around or what have you. But you know what? And there's instances where there is potential danger. You're going to be very direct in your command to your child or your grandchild or your niece or your nephew or whoever needs your help. And that command isn't because you need to be obeyed for your own self, for your own esteem, for for the significance and authority it brings you, that command, as direct as it is, and that, that need of obedience is still for the benefit of the person that you're giving the command to. It's the very same way when God says to us, do not be afraid. When we dig into it deeper, we know that this is for our benefit because we are not designed as human beings to live in fear. So what happens when you are in the grip of fear or when you're dealing with anxiety and it becomes perpetual? What fear does is it brings out this fight or flight uh, um, kind of response. And we have this adrenaline rush and then, and then our, our, our body can be ready to fight off a danger or to flee from a danger. And it just brings up and, our, and we get stressed and we get tense. And this is a wonderful defense mechanism that God has, has given to us as human beings. And in, in times of actual danger, we need this response to be there for us. But when we live in fear, we are constantly living in this fight or flight response. And what that does is it brings up the stress and it makes the anxiety worse. And it can actually have real negative effects physically uh, to, our, to our bodies where we just can't relax. And we as, as humans are not designed to live in fear. God knows that. And so he gives us a very strong command. Do not be afraid. So what can we say about this? What can we say about God's command? We can can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that choosing to live in fear then is choosing to live in disobedience. Again, this is not some casual piece of advice. This is a command to be obeyed. And so if you are someone who's lived in fear and you're thinking of it strictly in the victim mindset, there needs to be a bit of a moment a bit of a switch where you realize, as I needed to realize as well, that when I am choosing to live in fear, that I am also then choosing to live in disobedience against God's most cited command in his word. Yet there is also a second tone in which someone can say, do not be afraid. And instead of the don't of a command, you can have someone give you comfort or reassurance. Don't worry. You don't need to be afraid. I have this. I'm here now. Do not be afraid. And that tone is also evident throughout Scripture. This is issued by God, our Heavenly Father, who deeply cares for his children. We just sang a song to that effect. I mean, we don't have to be ruled by fear because we are children of God. And that God loves us and he cares for us. And not only does he give us a strong command, but he whispers comfort and reassurance in our ear. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I have you. This comfort and reassurance is also given for our own benefit. God knows perfectly the encouragement that we need in the darkest times of our life. When we are the most afraid, when things feel like they're closing in, when our anxiety seems to be at its its worst, when we are worrying about everything, then God can say in that still small voice that speaks right to our soul, do not be afraid. You don't need to. You don't have to because of who I am. This is, as I think another way of, of, of parenting, how this reflects it, would be like comforting a child after a nightmare. And, and our, our boys are all great sleepers. Uh, we love that fact. They let us sleep wonderfully well. But there are those nights every now and then in which they will have a bad dream. And do you know the number one place that they want to go after a bad dream? Right to mom and dad's bed. 
right in between us. I'm like, why are you here? Oh, bad dream? Okay, that's fine. You can stay here. <laughs> right? But they want that comfort and that reassurance. And as a parent, I love to be able to do that for them, to give that to them, to say it was just a bad dream. I'm here. You can be comfortable. You can be safe in my presence. Don't worry. Do not be afraid. And that is the message that God gives us, even alongside that command in Scripture. So what can we say now about this, the comfort and reassurance that God gives us? Well, we can say that choosing to live in fear is choosing to reject God's gift of peace. He's saying, you don't have to worry because of who I am. You don't have to worry because I'm here. I can take this from you. I can give you peace even when peace feels impossible. And so then if we choose to live in fear, not only we are, are, are we disobeying a command, but we are rejecting a gift that God wants to offer us. So both of those things should grab our attention if we find ourselves perpetually afraid. And so, yes, maybe this has given some motivation. I think it's also started to re- reveal some of the heart of God when it says, do not be afraid. But maybe we haven't quite got to the point where you find it helpful. Paul then gives another command that we are to follow later on uh, that helps us put our overcoming of fear into practice. And this is in Philippians 4, verse 4. I'll just read from you here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. And when we encounter this in Philippians, we need to read it with this command idea. This is a strong imperative from Paul. Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's writing to them from prison. He is in prison. And he is able, in full confidence, to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when things are going well. Not just when the, the skies are clear and sunny and, and you've got your whole life in front of you. Even when you are like me, a prisoner for the Lord, you can still rejoice. Rejoice always. He declares this while he's in prison. He modeled it when Paul, when he and Silas were, were in prison. They could sing hymns and songs. Even there, they were truly rejoicing in the Lord. That ultimately led to their freedom. And if you continue to read in Philippians chapter 4, Paul goes on in this passage to connect our ability to rejoice in who God is with our ability to overcome fear and anxiety in our life. He says, be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. There is this connection. And so we need, if we want to put this into practice, to make that connection as well. And to realize that the path to overcoming fear is to focus, maybe even rejoice, on who God is. When we are afraid, we look at the things of our life. And when we want to try to get out of fear, we look at the things that we can do and that we can control. And all of our focus and all of our strategy tends to be put into ourselves and to the situation around us. But church, that will not help or it will not cure. It will not give you ultimate victory over fear in your life. The only way to do this, the only way truly to, to follow this command in Scripture to not be afraid is to focus on who God is. You see, Paul doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice when things are going well, rejoice in what's going on around you, rejoice in what God has given you. He says none of that. He says take your eyes off of those things. Instead, I call you to each and every day, no matter your situation, rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes our circumstances will cause us to be afraid, cause us to suffer, cause us to doubt. And we can still rejoice in who God is. That takes our eyes off of our hardships, our worries, and our fears. It reminds us of the character of God, the one who is capable of helping us overcome our fear. He is capable. 
Remember, God wants our obedience. Do not be afraid. He wants to give us the gift of peace. Don't worry. I got this. Why would we choose otherwise? Why would we choose anything else? So I think being a parent, I have learned a little bit more of God's perspective in my relationship with him. And sometimes when I look at my history of being afraid and often being afraid, I start to, to consider how frustrated God must be with me choosing to live in disobedience or choosing to, to reject his gift of peace. And, and I've experienced this frustration with my own kids. I, I just, uh, I spent some of the, some of the worst money I've ever spent was putting Silas into uh, to swimming lessons a few months ago and during the wintertime. Uh, he was three and, uh, and I would pay good money to go see him not do anything his, his swimming lesson teacher asked him to do. And then, and, and then you're in public, so you have to try to like convince him or cajole him or threaten or bribe or whatever to just get him to do something. And one of his biggest fears around all of this was he didn't want to jump off the edge of the pool, right? So he would get, he'd get right to the edge and I'm, I'm standing in the water directly in front of him and I'm like, hey, kid, you can jump to me, right? And then I try the command thing, hey, jump. It's not working. I try the, you know, the reassuring thing. I got this. I got you. I can, I can take care of you. And nothing, no harm will come to you, I promise. And he just wouldn't do it. I'm like, what more do you want? I've told you what I expect. I, I've, I've told you that I'll take care of you. You'll be perfectly safe. Just jump to me. And he wouldn't do it. Now, we were just at uh, Landon's grad party, and then he came to the side of the pool, and he started jumping into me. And he wanted to do it over and over and over again, because guess what? He actually quite enjoys it once he finally got over the fear. And then as I'm feeling so frustrated here, just trying to convince my son to do this because I know he will benefit from it so much, then all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute. Does my heavenly father feel the same way about me as I, I succumb to fear, as I live under the grip of anxiety? And he says, don't do it. I got this. I can give you this peace. Just trust in me. And sometimes I have been the one paralyzed on the edge. Can we trust in God can we focus on who he is, rejoice in who he is, and allow him to give us the freedom that we need? Here's the big point that I want to share with you this morning. Peace, freedom from fear, overcoming fear, peace, however you want to put it, peace is found between the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. Now, I have to give a bit of a shout out because this is not my sermon point at all. This is a sermon that I heard at Christ Church of the Valley when we were visiting Karen's relatives in Arizona. It was pre preached by uh, Pastor Ashley, and he was preaching on anxiety, and I just love this. This was a watershed moment for me, this point. Uh, and I would like to say that three years ago, I, I learned from it and put it into practice so completely amazing that, that, I, that I never had to learn from it again. Well, no, I was, <laughs> I didn't do it. I did it imperfectly. And then we went three, we, three years later on the exact same Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. We just went here in the spring. And do you want to know what sermon point he brought out of the archives to talk about again that year? Three years in between, but the only two Sundays that I've been there, and he preached on the exact same thing. And I was like, oh man, I don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> I believe God might be convicting me about something, church. He said, listen up. The peace that I have for you, son, is found when you trust in my goodness and when you trust in my control. So what do I mean when we rejoice or focus on who God is? It means that if we find ourselves lacking in trust between of God's goodness or God's control, then we will find ourselves lacking in peace. And so this like 
two pillars on either side. And if we can stand in the middle, then we will find that we can overcome fear. But if all of a sudden we say, oh God, I know that you're in control, but, but are you really that good? I mean, look at all the things that are happening in this world and look at all the, the negative things that have happened in my life and you're allowing me to go through all of this. And as soon as you doubt that God is truly good to you, then your peace is gone. Or perhaps you are convinced that God is good, that you know that his heart towards you is not for harm, but it is to love you as a child. But you look at, at everything that's happening in your life and it seems chaotic and you're like, oh, God, I don't, I don't know. I know you love me, but are you really in control? Are you really bigger than these things? Because there's some big things with pandemics and wars and, and the turmoil in, in my life and those around me that, God, are you really in control? And when you lose that trust in God's control, now you are also no longer able to claim that gift of peace that he wants to give you. Again, peace is found between the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. When we trust in these aspects of God's character, then what do we need to fear? Let's talk about the pillar of God's control. Because fear, anxiety, and worry make us crave control. That's our natural human response. The more we worry, the more we are afraid, the more we want to just grab a hold of things and do it ourselves and control every aspect of that situation. There's a problem with this, though, because it is clearly impossible, and every one of you, being honest, would, would I think, agree with me, that you cannot control every aspect of your life. It is impossible to completely control your lives. How many married people here can say, yeah, I can control my spouse? Any married people here willing to raise their hands? I know you're not going to raise your hand, but some of you are like, yeah, I got him in the palm of my head. <laughs> no, of course not. This is the scary thing about marriage. When you enter into this very intimate relationship with somebody else that ultimately will still always make their own choices and decisions. It's vulnerable. And we know, we know that we can't control our spouse. So anyone else tried to control your kids? Anyone else tried to make your kids perfectly obedient 100% of the time? Has that worked for anyone? I've admitted that it doesn't work for me. Has anyone else found the secret? I've had the opportunity to have some good conversations with those of you whose, whose children are now becoming young adults, and you've got to let go even more. And that's, that's scary. And why is it scary? Because there is even more of the sense of a loss of control. When we get afraid, we want to grab a hold, and when we let go, that can make us fearful. But we can't control our kids. We've, we've trained them, we've taught them, we've pointed them to Jesus, and now, you know, and now they're, they're going. And they're going to do what they're going to do, and, and they're going to have to make their own decisions in life. Uh, in the past couple of years, has anyone managed to control the weather? I've tried this a few different times. Had some problems with water in my basement. was making me a little bit worried. So I was just like, you know, I'm going to control the weather. No more rain means no more water in my basement. Um, that hasn't gone very well for me either. Because we've had more and more rain all the time. We can't control the weather. If you're a farmer, that makes a huge difference. Can you control the economy? We've talked about some of the uncertainty with rising inflation and this talk of maybe an upcoming recession. And so that can make us fearful. And the reason it makes us fearful is because we know we can't control it. Fear and anxiety just shout, clamor for this control. But we know we don't have it. We only trick ourselves into thinking that we can. God alone is in control. And when fear threatens to overwhelm us, we need something bigger than our fear to fight back. We need something bigger than our fear. It seems such a simple concept, but of course this is the case. I'm going to share with you another passage from Edward Welch in his book, Running Scared. He says, fear calls out for a person bigger than ourselves. 
So when we can't control something, and then we look to our left and to our right, to the people that we love the most, and we realize that they can't control it either, where do we go? Where do we go when we're afraid of something that nobody we know can control? We have to look to God. Because everyone other than God is subject to that same lack of control that we are. Only he is big enough. Only he is strong enough. Only he is above and beyond the storms that we all face in life. Those things that make us afraid, we need something bigger than that fear. Bigger than that thing that we're afraid of. And God is the only one who will fit that bill. So to overcome fear and to accept God's gift of peace means that we need to relinquish the illusion of control in our life. That pillar of control, that is God's. It is his. He is sovereign. He is king. He is big enough. He is capable enough. And we are not. And so let go of the illusion of control in your life, and then you will be able to trust more completely in God's ability to control, and that will give us that path to the gift of peace. Fight back against that natural tendency to grab more control the more fearful we get. Uh, Last summer, we had a few ants get into our house, and I declared war on them, and I pushed them out, and I was happy with that. I'm like, we're never going to have ants in our house again. And just this uh, past week or so, we were, uh, Karen and I were working out in our basement, and I saw an ant, one singular ant, crawling on my floor. And I stopped everything. I was like, where's our poison? Where are our traps? What are we going to do? And I'm I'm starting to freak out. And Karen looks at me and she says, don't spiral. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? I'm fine. (laughs) Right? And of course I'm not. I'm preaching. I'm not being fearful. Why would they be worried? I'm not supposed to worry. It's just one ant. But you know what, church? I wasn't able to put that to rest until I did something. I had this burning need to do something. And so I found poison. And I found one corner of our house that I thought maybe the ant came in. And I sprayed. I'm like, good. Now that, that matter is settled. Logically, did that make any sense? No. One ant does not mean an infestation. There's no evidence to point that that is where the ant was getting into my house. It just showed me this need to do something, to be in control. I still was not ready to fully relinquish any of that situation over to God. And big or small, we need to give over control. We need to give over the illusion of control because God has it anyway. One more passage I'll read from you here from Welch. He says, do not be afraid are the words of the one who could match speech with action. God is the sovereign king who really is in control. He is the one who can do something about our fear. He is the one that can change that situation. More importantly, he is the one who can change our hearts to endure any situation. So that is our first pillar, the promise of God's character. God is in control. And here is just one passage of many that can help remind us of this character of God. This is what we read in Isaiah 45, verses 5 to 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And so what happens when we are afraid? The first thing we need to do is remind ourselves of the character of God and his ability to be in control. And we need to say in our hearts, even out loud, you are the Lord. There is no other. 
And so we establish that pillar in our life. And we also need to be reminded of the pillar of God's goodness because control is only a comfort if you are convinced and trust that the person in control is doing things for your good. It's only a comfort if you trust that God is good, which he is. We can point to so many different parts and passages of scripture that point to the goodness of God. It is an essential part of his character. And it was displayed most fully and completely for us when God sent his son Jesus to give up his life, to bleed and to die on the cross for our good. God is good. He doesn't just say it. He shows it. He has proven it to us. Now, in my life, God's goodness has become most obvious to me in both the peaks and the valleys of life. Just another quick story from something that happened to, uh, to me in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was just really enjoying my time with my family, and Karen and I were spending time together, and uh, she was, we were sitting beside each other, and she just says, you know what? I really love our life. Just really love our life. This is just admit, being, uh, admitting that we are very content. We are very blessed by God, and we do that. We can take stock in everything that God has given to us, and we love our, our kids. We've, we really love the home that we have. Uh, we love being close to family. Uh, we love the fact that it's summer and we can go do things. I even tolerate my job. You know, there's, there's all these things. I'm kidding. I love you guys. I love it here. We feel like at, at that moment when we feel like it's maybe at the peak where things are going well, that we can say, ah, I just, I love how good God has been to us. So maybe you have, are in a similar spot and you feel excited about summer and you love what God has done. And you can say, yes, we, we, we just look, we, we count those blessings. We know God has been good. And yet, the goodness of God has been perhaps even more clear in the valleys that life has given, not just in those mountaintop peaks. This, again, was something that Karen and I experienced together when we lost our stillborn daughter. And this was something where we needed to go and we needed to, to, uh, Karen needed to still deliver this baby. And so we went to the hospital that day, knowing that we would truly enter, truly, the valley of the shadow of death. And I had an open question going there. I'm like, is God going to be here is God still going to be good? Is he going to be good in this valley, in the dark, in our fear, in our anxiety? Is God still good? And he was there in a way that I can't quite explain, in a way that is, is really a lesson that we only learn when we walk through it, that when we need God to be good the most is when we are most likely to be convinced of his goodness. Trusting in the goodness of God means that he is enough even when our greatest fears are realized. So we don't get peace from fear because God's goodness makes us exempt from anything bad happening. That's not the truth. The truth is we get peace from fear because even when those worst fears are realized, God's goodness is bigger than those fears. His goodness is everything that we need in those moments which is why um, uh, at my mom's funeral just over a year ago, one of the songs that we wanted to sing, that she wanted to have sung, was the goodness of God. So how is it possible to sing about the goodness of God when you've buried someone that you love? When the worst fears have been realized? Because God is truly good. He is good in the darkest times. He is good when our fears are realized. And when we understand this, when we trust it, then no fear can shackle us. And so here is our second pillar, a promise of God's character. God is good. And we are reminded of this in Psalm 34, 8. 
where the psalmist encourages us, everyone, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't take my word for it. Taste, see, experience, trust. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and he will show that he is good to you. God is in control. God is good. And when we remember that, we have peace. We can truly obey that command and take a hold of that gift. Do not be afraid. So church, let me give you some advice that may have seemed surface level 30 minutes ago, but hopefully means something a little more deeper and practical now. Do not be afraid. Coming from God, this is more than advice. It's that command to be obeyed and a gift to be received. And when fear and anxiety clamor for your attention, rejoice in the Lord. Focus on his character, who he is, because peace is found in the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. So I have a little bit more homework for you. As, a, as a, the music team comes back up, I want to challenge you to do just two things this week. The first thing that I want you to do is I'd like you to write down and eventually, if you're willing, to memorize the two passages that I shared with you today, Psalm 34, 8 and Isaiah 45, verses 5 to 7. Because when we get afraid, we need to be reminded of, of the truth that God is good and that God is in control. And I believe those are two passages that can be great, great reminders. And so if you have a journal, write them down in your journal. If you have a Bible, write it down at the beginning or the margin of your Bible. And then the second thing is very simple. When you start to experience fear and anxiety and worry, position yourself between the pillars of God's goodness and control by reciting these verses. So write them down. Memorize them. And when fear knocks at the door, remind yourself God is good and God is in control. What have I to fear? Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, it has been good to be reminded of who you are, that you are the one and the only one who is above and beyond the fears and the struggles that we face. So God, I pray that we would take our eyes off of our situation and circumstances and emotions and be able to put them firmly on who you are, not just reminding ourselves, but rejoicing in your goodness and in your sovereignty. God, let us stand between the pillars of your goodness and control and accept this gift of peace, live in obedience to the command, and not be afraid. Amen.